0: Welcome to another season of Reckoning. I'm Ingrid, and I'm here to ask questions, discuss, and dig into conversations about death, dying, grief, and loss, however that shows up. My hope is that by having open and honest conversations about these often taboo or overwhelming topics, that we can be part of a cultural shift towards relating to them with more awareness, wonder, humility togetherness, and perhaps even appreciation. Death is a part of life. And I think that by ignoring or hiding from it, we make it harder and lonelier and scarier to walk through our experiences with it. So thanks for being brave and vulnerable with me as we explore and learn and grow together in this process. I'm really glad you're here. Let's do some reckoning. This episode, I have the great pleasure of interviewing Chris Lynn, who survived a very near-death experience in a horrific car crash in her 20s. And I just want to give the warning for folks that are listening that um, there is some graphic detail about her injuries. And so... If you want to listen to the episode but feel like that might be uncomfortable for you to listen to, I recommend skipping ahead to 13, 14, or 15 minutes into the episode um, and just skipping some of those descriptions if you feel like they'll bother you. Overall, such a wonderful and insightful conversation, and we dig into not only her personal experience but also how that impacted her work and the way that she shows up for people that are in similar situations. So I hope you enjoy it. thank you for um, being willing to do a podcast episode with me. Thank you Uh, for having me. Absolutely. I know that you are um, good friends with one of my good friends. Um, We got to meet in person a couple of times, and so I'm, yeah, I'm really excited to bring you into this project.
1: Thanks. I'm excited to be here. This is a really important conversation, so I'm excited.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, And so I'm wondering if you don't mind starting by just telling me a little bit about
1: yourself. Like, how do you you identify? Um, So I'm a 40-year-old woman, and um, I've grown up in the Pacific Northwest, lived here my whole life. Um, I love animals and nature and science, and I've been in the healthcare industry for, oh, let's see, 18 years now. I can't believe it's been that long, but yeah, 18 (laughs) years. So, um, yeah, always been in professions um, involving science and helping people. That's kind of my passion.
0: Awesome. Nice. Well, yeah, it's um I mean I think that's something that we share some commonality with and I yeah, I remember when we met we talked a little bit about what it's like to work in healthcare um and all the different ways that we can show up in those spaces and um yeah, yeah and I know that you know, my understanding is that you have a very personal experience that has influenced the way that you show up in that work and so I'm curious if you want to start with sharing some of your personal experience around death and grief, or if you want to start with more of your professional experience, and we, we can go either either way.
1: Yeah, I'll probably start with my personal experience, just because I feel like that um, made such a positive impact on my professional experience, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I'm glad that, <clears throat> pardon me, even though it was a kind of a traumatic event in my very young life, mm-hmm. um, it made a huge impact for everyone that I cared for mm. after everyone yeah. in my healthcare career um, because I was able to put myself in their shoes and um, have a little more empathy, more sympathy. for people. Yeah.
0: That, that makes a lot of sense. I would love to hear a little bit about your
1: intense and traumatic experience. So on February 6th, 2004, um, I was in a really severe car accident um, on I-5 just South mm-hmm. of Seattle. Um, I was in a small, you know, four-door little sedan. I was Mm. 21 years old at the time. And Mm. I was driving home to visit my parents for the weekend. They live about 30 minutes south of where I was going to college. And um, it was Friday afternoon around three or four. And I'm heading south for the evening. And there were some really terrible weather conditions along that stretch of highway. Mm. And if I remember correctly... Um that day there was 17 separate car accidents along a two-mile stretch of highway. Um, (laughs) So it was torrential downpour and wind, um, which broke suddenly into bright sunshine and the glare um Mm -hmm. resulted in many people um driving out of their lanes and crashing into each other. Wow, wow, wow. Um, Fortunately, I have no memory of mm. that exact moment or the moment of impact, um, but I was hit, um, first by a truck, um, mm. going too fast for the conditions, um, and their thought, um, based on kind of eyewitness reports was that, um, I was likely unconscious after that first impact, but that my foot was stuck on the accelerator of my mm. car, um, So after going unconscious, being hit by this truck, my car um, went out at a very fast speed across two other lanes of traffic, and I was um, broadsided on my side. So it was actually a broadsiding twice on the driver's side. Mm. Um, Luckily, I don't have any memory of that. I think it's um, so important that our brains, you know, have the ability to kind of decide for us in really extreme moments. They say, you know, you don't really need to remember this. I'm just going <laughs> to just yeah. going kind to of clear this for you.
0: Absolutely. So, very great. Yeah, and I just appreciate you even being willing to share some of that because I imagine that could be even re-traumatizing to talk about it again and so Thanks for being, you know, willing to share it. And I'm glad that your brain has protected you from maybe some of those yeah. really int- intense traumas.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, so while I, while I think it's important that you don't have to remember bad stuff, um, you know, the, the ramifications afterward, I learned mm-hmm. a lot and mm-hmm. the overall experience was really positive. So mm-hmm. um. After kind of after that initial impact, um, what people have told me is that um, I was trapped in the car, mm. the, my driver's seat. Um, I was wearing a seatbelt. Um, I was still in my driver's seat, but it was detached from the floor of the car. And it was actually in the lap of my college boyfriend who was riding the passenger seat. Um, so the car was really in like a crescent shape, you know, kind of bowed in on the driver's side. And, um, the paramedics couldn't get to me without cutting roof off. So they arrived and while they were cutting roof off, um, they recognized that I had multiple fractures. They could tell right away that my pelvis was severely fractured. Um, I believe I had 16 fractures in my pelvis alone. Um, And the pelvis actually separated from the spinal column at the base. Um, So lots of, lots of nerve damage. I think um, concussion was at play and I had collapsed both lungs. So I was having a very difficult time speaking. Mm -hmm. And as they were cutting the roof off um, was when they were trying to do, you know, kind of some um, neuro checks on me asking, Mm -hmm. you know, what's my name? And, do you know, who's in the car with me and where I'm at, where I'm headed, what's the day, you know, all Mm -hmm. these questions. And I couldn't really answer any of them. It Mm -hmm. was what I was was hearing. And it was getting more and more difficult for me to speak. It Mm. it was like uh, trying to scream underwater or Mm. talk in a pool, you know, and that was because my lungs were um, filling up with fluid Mm -hmm. and uh, from the broken ribs. And at one point, um, the paramedics, I guess, according to my boyfriend said, um, we're losing her. We're, hmm. we're going to lose her. And I went into Ooh. cardiac arrest um, because I, I couldn't breathe. Um, and so they defibrillated me while it was in the car to get my heart going again. Um, and I think they placed a chest tube in the side of my chest there to try and drain some fluid and get one of my lungs working. Mm. Um, so I was intubated in the field. Um, wow. And, yeah. And I, you know, so while it was really traumatic with all the fractures and the, you know, um, just the severity of all of the injuries, I consider myself extremely lucky for a few different factors at play, mm-hmm. and you know, one of them was being young and in mm-hmm. shape. I mm-hmm. was 21. I was fit. Mm-hmm. I was running every day. Um, and then the second part was being 10 minutes down the freeway from Harborview Medical Center in Seattle, wow. number one trauma unit up on the, in the Pacific Northwest. Wow, wow. You know, if this had to happen, I I was extremely fortunate that it happened mm-hmm. when and where it did. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm.
0: Wow. Wow. Whew. I just want to name that like I'm feeling a reaction hearing all of that. Like that is an extreme amount of things for your body to experience like immediately and suddenly. Um and, yeah. It was and like moment. Yeah. And to hear you say like I feel grateful <laughs> or like I feel lucky is I mean, it speaks a lot to like, I mean, to have emergency responders that are able to show up and know what to do in those settings and to be able to get to the help that you needed to survive all that is, I mean, it's really incredible.
1: Yeah. Very, very grateful for them. And um, some of those, well, one of the paramedics and one of the um, officers, actually the first officer who arrived at the scene actually followed me in an ambulance you know his vehicle was behind my ambulance up to Harborview and met with my parents when they Mm. arrived Mm. I mean I just had this team of really amazing people caring Mm. for me and this police officer um called my dad every day until I woke up from a coma to make sure that I was progressing and you know um getting better every day so amazing people and uh Yeah. So that was, that was the next step after that car accident and, you know, being defibrillated, I was transferred up to Harborview and, oh, some of the, some of the injuries. Um, I was obviously concussed. Um, I had, um, cervical spine fractures, C5 and C6. So I was in a Miami J for Mm -hmm. um, eight weeks. Is that a neck brace? Yep. That's a neck brace. Mm -hmm. And, um, I broke um, my back in multiple places. So I went in and had um, a spinal fusion once I was stable enough to undergo that procedure. Um, my pelvis, as I mentioned earlier, was fractured in 16 places and separated mm-hmm. from the spinal column. So that's all pieced together with <laughs> uh, metal. I mean, it, it, wow. it literally something you'd find out of a bucket at Home Depot. I would <laughs> joke about that. <laughs> and that's still the case for you. Like you still
0: have these metal plates and screws and
1: stuff yeah still still in there so there's always jokes about me being a bionic woman and yes going through jokes.
0: yeah transportation security at uh, at the airport yeah. I'm sure it's yeah
1: sometimes I set those alarms off and sometimes I don't it's interesting fascinating um and you know I, I broke you know shoulder and um many ribs I lost part of my liver um Wow. part of my small intestines. Um, so I, I eventually did lose the gallbladder, but that's okay. It's not necessary for life. Um, <laughs> just like my spleen that I lost. isn't. Oh, wow.
0: <laughs> I mean, I just can't, I'm like in awe of how much your body was rearranged by that. Like it really was a physical, like, it, it sounds like in so many parts and places, things were just pushed and shoved and broken and moved and had to be taken on emergently. I mean that and I mean
1: that's it was that's it wild. was pretty pretty incredible. I I guess I didn't maybe to a certain extent I took for granted that we we all get just one body, right? Mm-hmm. And it's ours for our whole life. And how grateful I am for all that work that my body put in to get me, you know, relatively normal again, yeah. um, back to a fairly normal state where I don't think many people would ever know that wow. this happened to me. So I mean, very fortunate.
0: That <laughs> is an incredible testament to the resilience of the human body um, and to medicine to be able to help you get there. But I mean, that is, that is pretty wild that yeah, your body was torn up in all these ways. And here you are, and you're still alive and doing
1: things and moving around. And I mean, that's, that's yeah. Yeah. And I, And if I can, for one second, I just want to give a shout out to anyone that donates blood because Mm. complication for me was, um, I was hemorrhaging due to the lacerations in my spleen and my Mm -hmm. liver and some torn arteries in my pelvis. And during a four hour initial stabilization surgery, just to keep me alive, um, they went through 32 units of blood, um, trying to just keep the blood going in my body and keep me wow. out of magic shock wow wow so those uh those 32 people saved my life Wow! So i'll never know their names but thank you to whoever is out there
0: <laughs> oh that's a beautiful ah that's a beautiful plug and testament for yeah. <laughs> the blood donation wow incredible um and and so you know i guess i just want to name through all of this that it sounds like in multiple times and moments and ways, like you were pretty close to dying. Like you had said, the paramedics had said, we're
1: going to lose her. Yeah. 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 And I, you know, time is really spotty during that day. I have hours of time that I can't account for Mm -hmm. um, with the, with the head trauma and whatnot. But from the time of the, impact to when I actually woke up in the hospital and could have lucid conversation with physicians and family. Um, it was about three weeks and I, I really only have maybe four or five memories from that time mm. and kind of the most profound one. And one that's really helped me through my life was, um, when I was in the car, um, trapped in the car and they were cutting the roof off. Um, it was so interesting before I woke up and had my parents tell me where exactly this accident had occurred along I-5. I knew because I had a, a visual, I had the memory and it was an aerial overview of the accident on the freeway. Mm. And so I don't know if this was an out of body experience or um, what was happening, but I think this was occurring while I was going into cardiac arrest and while they were defibrillating me. And this experience, I was, I know I was above people. I was up Mm. higher than my body was. And I, on some level understood that I wasn't in my body and I was sensing a a presence or a voice. Um, I can't say if this voice was, you know, male or female, or even spoke the same language as me. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was communicating to me. It was putting, you know, thoughts into my mind, and it was very calmly saying, "You're you're passing. You're, you know, this is it for you." Mm-hmm. Um, but it was so peaceful and reassuring and calming and as somebody with you know lifetime anxiety issues I think I mean I've had anxiety since probably 12 or 13 years old like Mm. the start of puberty Um, to feel so calm and safe despite being kind of with it mentally enough to recognize what was happening to me and accepting it fairly mind-blowing to me mm. I think that to I I feel like I kind of met death or faced death whatever that looks like and that it was an actually very calm and serene and not a fearful experience in any way mm. um, one of the calmest um, most peaceful moments I've ever had in my life mm. I think, yeah, without mm. a doubt yeah.
0: Wow. Man, I mean, that just, it gives me chills to hear that, right? I mean, it's something that feels so reassuring um, that I think, you know, as I've had all these conversations about death and dying, there's often this underlying fear and anxiety. And um, there's such an avoidance because of all of that. And I think this is the part of the piece of it that I think is so yeah just mysterious and fascinating about it is exactly this you know we've heard this sort of narrative from other folks that have had near-death experiences that that actually it's there is a peace and a and a calmness and a um an energy to it that doesn't feel scary um and I think that feel again like I think you
1: used the word earlier of like comforting for people and reassuring is yeah what's coming up for me but yeah. Like it was just yeah. a, a natural part of the process. Um, mm-hmm. and I think that if I hadn't had that experience before, then there would still be that anxiety, that fear of the unknown mm-hmm. when it comes to death, because not many people have the chance to, oh, yeah. and I almost want to say opportunity as, as maybe, dark uh, yeah. as that sounds, but I really feel like it was a learning experience for me. Wow. Um, So, having that opportunity to catch a glimpse of it has removed that fear and that anxiety. Like, I just look at it as it's the last thing we all do, Mm. it's part of life, and it's nothing to be afraid of
0: what an amazing thing to, I mean, obviously a horrific thing to go through in so many ways, but also as you said, like an opportunity, like what an incredible gift in a way that you've been given yeah. to have that experience. And I'm curious how that impacts as you move through the world now, like our, does that shift the way that you think about your own death when it does come or you know your like risk analysis of things or like yeah I'm just kind of curious like do you move through like well whatever I'm not worried to die so I'll go (laughs) skydiving or
1: (laughs) like whatever right and I actually have gone skydiving since (laughs) amazing amazing (laughs) (laughs) Um, so it does it kind of um puts into perspective really quickly what's important in life and what is not Mm -hmm. um what what do you really need to focus on in order to be happy and fulfilled and what no longer matters. And, you know, it's different for everybody, but if I'm just speaking for myself, you know, a lot of what doesn't matter anymore are um, materialistic things, Mm -hmm. um, you know, money, whatnot. Um, I want to live comfortably, but I want to live most importantly with people who make my life better, Um, people who I love and who love me and um, trying to stay healthy and active and just Mm -hmm. really kind of treat my body with the respect it Mm deserves after having gone through all that and then made it back. Working so hard for me, you know, to have this day-to-day life where I'm lucky to still be walking and breathing on my own or even just alive. So I think it really gives you that perspective of what's important, what's not, what do I need to focus on and stress on? And mm-hmm. what do I just let go of? Because yeah. it's a weight that isn't important anymore.
0: Wow. Yeah, that's, that's an incredible set of perspectives to carry with you through life. <laughs> and yeah, especially that piece around our bodies, right? Like, I think it's so easy to take all of those things
1: for granted. And mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. and I, I do tend to look at my body. It was very interesting in therapy and follow-up. I would often reference my body as like a a separate entity. Mm. And I didn't notice this until a therapist was working with me. And and she actually said, do you recognize that you refer to your body as not a part of you anymore? And I went through some body dysmorphic disorder Mm. after that accident, because Mm. I had mentioned earlier that being 21, being young and healthy and fit, I was a runner. Um, And then being broken literally into so many pieces and put back together, things don't move or feel or look the way that you're used to anymore. And I was in a bed for three months because Mm -hmm. of that broken pelvis. And I didn't see my body for a whole three months Mm -hmm. after that. Um, So it was a bit of a shock to finally see myself in front of a mirror or to stand up and feel how different my body is, especially with the muscle atrophy, um, occurred being in a bed for three months. Um, so looking at my body in a mirror for the first time after going through all that trauma, all those surgeries was this really profound moment where on one hand, I looked at my body and I didn't recognize it, Hmm. Um, the look, the feel, um, the function, and at the same time, feeling profound gratitude for it and all that my body had been through. So I've gone through a lot of um, therapy to try and kind of reconcile those two pieces and bring myself back into my body, mentally recognize that it is mine, even though it feels very different and functions very different than it did before. So yeah. it was a long process through the recovery, but it it, it finally happened. <laughs> mm.
0: Wow, yeah, I mean that uh, all I can say is wow <laughs> just, and I I really just appreciate again you being willing to share so vulnerably and honestly about all of that because you know, these are things that we can talk about over the span of a few minutes, but that is a, an experience you went through over years, you know, of your life and yeah, just the profundity of, feeling so, you were in a different body, essentially. And that process of getting back into relationship with it is, I'm sure something we could talk about for an entire hour. Like that is an incredible process in its own,
1: <laughs> in its own right. Um, it and, really was, it really was amazing. And I, I actually, something that I wished I had through the recovery process was that was one of the pieces that I wanted to talk to somebody about mm-hmm. someone that had experienced that. But I feel like that's a very rare thing to sure. find yeah. another person who had been through such a significant trauma and was right. kind of relearning and being reintroduced to their own body after right. being for 21 years. Right. Um, and I was really fortunate to actually have the opportunity to offer that to, to a friend of the family. Mm. Um, when I started walking again, after three months, um, a friend of the family approached me and said, you know, my niece was just in a really horrific car accident. And I five, mm. and a lot of her injuries mirror your own. And it would mean so much if you would be willing to come visit her in the hospital because she is absolutely devastated and struggling yeah. with these injuries and how she's going to recover from them on a physical level, on a mental level. Um, And just all the emotions involved in that recovery Mm -hmm. process, the Mm -hmm. unknown of, will I move normally again? What will my Mm -hmm. new body feel like? And I, I agreed to come talk to her and it was an amazing experience. We ended up talking for like 2 hours. <laughs> like, mm. I kept asking like are you okay? Are you too tired to do this because she was still in the trauma unit at the wow. medical center, the same floor that I was on. She was one wow. door from my room. Wow. And uh, we talked for 2 hours. This person that I didn't know, but we were kind of brought together through really similar circumstances. And I'm I was really happy that I could walk out of that room knowing that she felt like she was in a better place. Like wow. it gave her hope to see me walk into a room normally, um, yeah. being, being functional again after nice. such a trauma. And um, we kept in touch for a few years and uh, she made a great recovery and she's doing really well. So amazing. I, I so wish that I had had someone like that for me when it sure. was time to be in the hospital yeah. bed, but yeah. Um, grateful that I could be that person to her yeah. wow
0: yeah what a gift that is to her and um yeah I mean what an incredible thing I feel like you know one of the things that you said was that this whole process and experience that you went through has impacted and formed the way that you have moved through the world since then and I you know I I think two pieces stand out to me one is that you there's like this dichotomy of like having had this near-death experience where you feel like this peace and this calm that came you know from tapping into this you know whatever it is this like higher power or this sense of the world um yeah but then also that there still is like grief and struggle and loss and pain physically pain emotionally doubt, like all of those things still are part of the human experiences, like that just didn't go away, because you had this very profound, like, you know, maybe spiritual experience. Um, and both of those things can be true at the same time, which I think is incredible. Um, and that's embodied in you, you know, <laughs> like that's, um, but then also that you're, you come away from that, wanting to help others or to like, apply that newfound perspective and wisdom to Helping other people that are struggling and curious if you want to talk a little bit about your work in the healthcare field and how that has been impacted by
1: this whole experience. Cause that, yeah, that ties. Yeah. Yeah. And it's um, I think that it's made such a positive impact, not just on me as a person, but um, it's definitely allowed me to better care for people in the healthcare part of my life. Um and I I worked primarily in critical care units, um, cardiac and mm-hmm. neuro units. So many patients were in beds recovering from significant you know cardiovascular or cerebrovascular injuries or surgeries. So they were there for, you know, oftentimes weeks at a mm-hmm. time. and I would see them on a daily basis. You worked and- as a nurse, is that right? I'm actually a neurovascular specialist okay. and uh, yeah. And a registered vascular technologist. So okay, I'm kind of a, an expert in imaging blood flow in the body. And so I would um, image uh, my patient's brains on a daily basis and I'd come in and oftentimes these patients would arrive from the field, you know, comatose or they'd head straight into an emergent surgery. And as they started to wake up, um, a very, very common comment that was made to me when I would, when I'd come in, uh, patients would say, you have no idea what it's like to be stuck in a bed for, you know, five days, 10 days, however long they had been there a month. And I was lucky enough to be able to say, I do, I do understand what it's mm-hmm. like to be stuck mm-hmm. in a bed. And, and then obviously I'm not turning this into a conversation about me but if you're willing to listen to me for just a couple minutes, I'm happy to share a story and let you know that I understand completely. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of patients um, and myself included when I was a patient in the hospital um, react out of fear because yeah. you know we're very vulnerable we're in this position where we have no control. We're afraid of the unknown, what these mm. outcomes will be. And then there's also just the concept of pain, just experiencing mm. pain and recovery. And watching that wall come down around a patient who suddenly realizes they're in a room with someone who understands and has been mm. in their shoes is one of the most like palpable things I, I've ever experienced. Um, some would cry some would smile, some were just happy that they were looked at as like another human being and not a, not a broken piece of equipment or someone in need of fixing, you know, it's, it's another human connecting with you, understanding what you're going through and they can relate and talk to you like a person, like one-to-one understanding. So without that experience of my car accident and that near death, um, memory. I don't think I could have ever understood my patients when Mm -hmm. they had that moment and said, you Mm -hmm. just don't know what this is like. You don't know how hard this is. And to be able to say, yes, I do. And watch them kind of instantly have a weight come off was Mm -hmm. something so important to me. It was really valuable. I can't, yeah, it's hard to put it into words.
0: (laughs) I mean, I feel like valuable for everybody involved, right? Like valuable for you too, I imagine to feel this like sense of connection with your patients. Um, and then obviously so valuable for them to feel less alone, less alienated, um, to feel like they're being taken care of by someone who, um, you know, it's like the concept of peer support, you know, instead of having someone being like, I'm going to make you feel better. It's like, I've been where you've been and let's like, let me, talk you through how i got through that you know like it's incredibly powerful um and you know there's like the whole allegory of the cave i think it's plato but it's um you know this idea of like we go into these dark spaces and we come out of them and we could you know and i think it's totally valid and okay to just say like okay i'm gonna go move my life you know move on with my life and move forward and never go back to that dark hard place but i think there's something incredibly wise and generous, um, about having this impulse to be like, I am going to go back into that dark space. I'm going to bring a lantern with me and I'm going to help guide other people out of it. You know, like the fact that you chose to stay in healthcare and to stay in that field and go back into critical care units, this place of like deep trauma for you, um, to help other people through that. I mean, that is, what a gift. Like, I just, I'm totally in awe of that. Like,
1: I think that is a beautiful impulse. <laughs> Thanks. And I, I probably, in some ways, part of my recovery too is turning, yeah. like you said, that yeah. cave, turning it into a space that's lit with a lantern. And you mm-hmm. can try to eat others out of it because mm-hmm. circling back to something I mentioned earlier, boy, I wish there was someone that, right. that came in and had a lantern when I was in that cave. Yeah, so, yeah it's kind of turning that trauma into something that could maybe ease others trauma. And yes, that, that actually helps heal me. So I don't know if that's selfish or not, but
0: (laughs) (laughs) I don't think so. I think all I think is that's beautiful. I think that is such a beautiful way to right. We all get to grow and learn out of a process like that together and have yeah. Collective healing. I think that's incredible.
1: Yeah. I agree. Yeah,
0: I appreciate you being willing to enter into that space of sharing your story for exactly, you know, this purpose of like us all being able to really relate to these experiences and feel less judged and feel less alone. And, um, yeah, I think that's I think it's super important. So thanks for digging into all of that with me. Um, Happy to be here um, yeah, it, again, it strikes me as powerful, um, and brave to, to just come forth with,
1: yeah, your experience. So, yeah, it's, it is, it's so important to have these conversations. And I think that the more people kind of normalize these conversations and have them, if they're willing, it really takes away that fear of death and dying and the whole process because yeah. it is yeah. something so natural. It's the last thing we all do. And um, I think it's really important to just paint a picture of of what it is, natural, yeah. natural.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I really appreciate that that's one of your big takeaways from your your experience. Um, and I'm curious if there, if, I don't know if you have other examples or ways that just everything that you've been through, including your work, like has shifted the way that you relate to death or talking about death or your feelings about death like i'm curious if that has i feel like for some folks maybe that would make them more spiritual or religious or for some folks it would make them more um you know like reverent around um death and dying or it maybe for some folks it would make them be like I escaped this once. I'm never going to bring it up again. I'm going to be super risk averse <laughs> for the rest of my life. And so yeah, I'm just true. curious. <laughs> how, how I'll,
1: I'll live my life in a bubble. <laughs> yeah, right. I feel like I can see people moving in that direction too, right? So. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it's a very warranted response. Um, I think for me, after that, especially if I Shared that kind of out of body experience with anybody. There were a lot of questions about um, whether or not I believed in God, mm-hmm. and um, my family did not raise me going to church or having any specific religious beliefs. Where um, it's just not a part of our family, and I've considered myself agnostic since I was very young. Mm-hmm. So I I think that you know while I, I haven't really seen evidence of there being um, a higher power out there um i'm not closed minded to it i'm open mm. i would love to be surprised and find out that there is a higher power yeah <laughs> um, and with this experience i can't say that it changed my mind um about that i i still walked away being agnostic um i don't really know what that presence or that voice was in my head. Um, was it my conscience? Was it, was it a part of me, you know, my, my being separating from my mm. body or was it an energy? What, what was it? I still can't put my finger on it after mm-hmm. all these years. Mm-hmm. Um, so while I'm grateful for everything that happened, um, I can't, I can't say that It changed my mind about Mm -hmm. um, religious or spiritual beliefs, but it did change my mind about kind of the perseverance of people Mm. um, going through something like that and and recognizing the work and the time, all the effort, the tears, the pain um, to get to a place where you can keep moving on with your Mm. life and Mm. not necessarily move past that experience, but move with it and bring it with you in a way that, um, you can learn from and Mm. do perspective on your day-to-day life. I think that would be the biggest thing, the biggest change for me that I walked away from Mm. uh, from that. I, I think that before that, that accident, and I kind of look at my life as like pre and post accident, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Bet, yeah. Two very different people um, going into that experience and coming out of that experience. Mm -hmm. And kind of that perspective that I just mentioned, um, gaining that insight has really made the person that came out of it better for Mm -hmm. having gone through it. Um, I definitely am grateful for having had that accident. I have had people ask me if you could go back in time and not get in the car that day mm. change your plans because you knew it was going to happen what would you do and i my answer is 1000 percent. i would still get in that car because yeah. because i think i'm really honestly just a better human being having mm. gone through that so very worth it um it's definitely changed my thoughts and feelings on how to navigate life for sure
0: i appreciate that naming of just like the inability to separate out who you are now from that whole experience. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And especially, I mean, 21 is so young, you know, that's like such a time of identity formation still happening. And so to go through something, I mean, I think it obviously it would be intense and life changing for anyone at any age to go through something like that. But yeah, something specifically about like 21 is this like edge of like, youth and adulthood and just stepping into like, you know, new selves and, um, yeah, I'm I'm hearing you say that it, um, came, yeah, it just really formed and and transformed you to go through all of that.
1: And you're, you're so right that one of the toughest parts of this was being 21 at a time in my life when I was lucky enough to be in college. I was a junior at the time Right, right? in, you know, my program and it's a sequential program and you know things at that time in your life have these kind of like logical next steps yes. there's a suppression yes. to them right and even you know dating someone at the time or having friends that were in the same class as me and kind of on that verge of being an adult and being independent and starting your career and being so excited and then having the brakes mm-hmm. applied so abruptly mm-hmm, was mm-hmm. one of the toughest things to to wake up from an accident like that and being right. 21 and those logical steps that oh they were just a rug pulled out from underneath you. Right. Like you're you're doing a 180 now. You have to navigate a completely new obstacle course. Right. And while you're navigating that and recovering from this process, not only are you trying to adjust to a new body in the way it looks, um, you know, which is, I think in our younger years, more important to us, Mm -hmm. um, especially being like a young woman in our Mm -hmm. society, um, very difficult to wake up with a lot of surgical scars and drains and nerve damage. Um, and then while you're trying to deal with all of that, you are watching your friends, continue on that right. course, that trajectory forward and so trying to stay positive mm. about where you're at and what your new reality is while trying to maintain friendships that you're watching kind of lack of a better term kind of sail away from you mm-hmm. sail toward that sunset while you're kind of stagnant yeah yeah was really difficult I and bet. so it was, you know some some friendships that were lost and, um, relationships that ended and, uh, that made it kind of doubly hard. That's a very young time in your life when you're kind of carefree and you're figuring out who you are and, and then you're kind of brought into this like harsh reality. Yeah. All right. It's time you're figuring out now who you are, (laughs) Yeah. Which, which can be there's positives and there's negatives to that. Yeah. Um, so to me, it looked like a positive now that I have like the beauty of hindsight. Uh, but at the time that was one of the biggest struggles being, I'm sure. yeah,
0: I'm sure. Right. And watching people around you just continue to move yeah, forward in their lives. And yeah, I remember in a grief class that I took, we talked about, this concept of like an off time loss, you know, where it's like there are losses expected in our lives. And when they happen out of order, it's just an added layer of grief, you know? So it's like, we expect our grandparents to die, but if a child dies, that's like a completely added layer of like, well, this wasn't supposed to happen at this time. Um, And this is a super minor example, but or it's not super I don't want to minimize it but it's just a different a different example of this but i feel like you know my my dad died when i was in my early 20s mm. and i remember it being like none of my peers are dealing with this right now <laughs> like yeah. you know and so it's it's not the same thing but it's definitely like oh i'm having to deal with this different reality and i i have this distinct memory of like going to a halloween party like a few weeks after or like a week after he died or something. And I just remember being like, why are people having fun right now? This isn't, you're having fun, but I am not. And it's that, that can feel again, This like, I think the importance of having connection or, or talking with people who are going through a similar thing can be so helpful because it's like, okay, I'm not, I might feel alone in some moments, but I'm not entirely
1: alone in this experience. I think it's yeah. really important. Yeah, well, I'm. I'm so sorry that happened. It and it is hard when people around you aren't haven't been through the same experience that you know we've been through, and it's not syncing up right with our right. with our anticipated timeline. It feels like a TV right.
0: Yeah. which is yes. more
1: difficult to navigate. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. It's just so important to be able to have conversations like this that people can listen to and say. Yeah this this has happened to me or this is happening to me and I'm not alone it helps get rid of that feeling of being alienated you're the only one yeah yeah
0: well I feel like that feels like a nice place to wrap up just to kind of end on this note of like oh yeah this whole uh, you know point of connection and feeling like oh talking about these things feels like a healing process to exactly what you were saying earlier like a friend of mine asked me actually at one point, like, does this podcast feel like my own healing process with the loss of my, you know, my dad, like, oh, is talking about death helpful for me to heal? I'm like, yeah, I think so. I don't think that's like, the only purpose to all of this. But it does feel like there's a beautiful parallel process of like, when we get to experience healing and growth and learning. While yeah, connecting with other people. So
1: I think there's something really profound about that. Um, yeah, yeah, it's kind of able to help others while having this kind of cathartic moment yes. for ourselves. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. yeah but um, I guess just before we wrap up, I'm curious if there's anything else that you want to share or bring in, or things that feel important for you to talk about mm-hmm. or
1: name. Yeah, I got. I mean. I don't know how to pull it in, but another kind of perspective was being, being the one in the bed, being Mm. the one that had been injured and having to go through the recovery and all the surgeries and whatnot. I think my parents, you know, family and friends were so concerned and they were losing sleep and they were stressed. Um, I actually think it was a harder process for them than it was Mm. for me. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think that there's a lot of fear, you know, around like losing loved ones or witnessing them, you know, go through pain or an mm-hmm. process. It's hard because we're not the ones that are in control when we're watching that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, kind of, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, helpless. You feel helpless. Yeah. And, I think that my parents felt that way to a certain extent and I actually had more empathy for them than I did for me in (laughs) all of this process because I was the one that had to put in the work, right? Right. I I had these goals that I had to reach and every day was get a little better, do a little more, move a little farther Mm -hmm. and for them to have to sit and watch, I think was kind of a unique a unique kind of agony, right? It's their for own sure. recovery process, and I know, you know, afterward, my mom had to see a therapist for post-traumatic stress disorder mm-hmm. after my accident. So mm-hmm. while she wasn't the one that had to go through the recovery, she was walking kind of in parallel with me through the process and suffering her her own trauma. Yeah, and and that's a tough one. I've, I've witnessed that too in, you know, healthcare. You know, a patient may be passing due to you know whatever circumstances have befallen them, and to have to be in the room with grieving family members, yeah, is very hard because it's hard to always know what to say and how to comfort them. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think that I would always see my parents in in some of my patients' family members who were right. concerned about losing their loved ones and watching them go through this process. And um, it did bring me a little bit of peace of mind having gone through that process as the patient and as someone who experienced that, you know, kind of near death or out of body experience, that it it's not doesn't have to be scary. And while we're sad because we're going to miss them, we shouldn't be afraid for that, mm. that's what I, what I would see in my patients in the critical care unit. Yeah.
0: Wow. Yeah. That's such a great distinction. Like the fear versus the grief, I guess, you know, like it, and actually that was something I was curious about for you is, you know, how, how you relate to patients that you've seen that have died, you know, that didn't make it, that didn't recover. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's, yeah, I think there's something really important about that, that naming of the helplessness of folks that are nearby that can't necessarily do anything about it. And they just have to wait and, and not Mm -hmm. in control of that outcome. That's a very different relationship
1: to that whole experience of coming close to death. It is. Yeah. And there's, yeah, a little bit of like, survivor's guilt I guess sometimes oh you know whether it's driving past a car accident on my drive to work or seeing something on the news and you know them them acknowledging that this this person in the car didn't survive and looking at that car and the wreckage looks so minor compared to mine you Mm. can't help but wonder sometimes well geez why why me or why, why not them? Um, right. and it just puts into kind of perspective, you know, kind of as our, as our lives go on, there's these small little things that could completely change the course of the day. You know, what yes. if I left my, you know, my dorm or the campus that day, um, a minute earlier or a minute later, would I have been in a completely different situation right. now? Right. Right? So it's, it's definitely a unique position to be in when you see someone who's been through trauma or um, you know, they've battled a long-term illness or an injury. Um, and you you witness them maybe not come out as lucky as, mm-hmm. as, as I was or mm-hmm. as you know someone else was. And you can't help but kind of feel this simultaneous um, a sadness for them, a grief for them. But also a feeling of kind of gratefulness and appreciation for yourself because it gives you that perspective that things things could be worse. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And I, you know, it's like as you were describing the accident. Like I've been on I five in those moments where there's downpours and then sudden sunbursts. Like that, it feels like that whole corridor is full of those like really intense sudden downpours. And I. Yeah. So I think, yeah, there's like a visceral feeling of like, I think, I think we often leave the house just not, it's not even a conscious thought. Like I'm not going to die today. You know, this is, right. that's not going to happen to me today. And how off putting it is, I think, to hear stories when that happens Yeah. To people that we know
1: and, to, you know, to, you know, to yourself, obviously it's like, Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That it's, it's absolutely right. That I mean, that morning, I think I I woke up and I I guess I took a midterm exam. I, I don't remember that exam at all. My <laughs> slate was kind of wiped clean of that exam. Yeah. And on a kind of a lighter note, it was a physics exam, so I'm okay with that having <laughs> been purged from my memory. <laughs> um, but you know, I I didn't wake up that morning thinking. That anything like that could happen, right. never right. would we think that. And I think that I, you know, I'm I'm still a little guilty of this. We we always kind of assume that yeah, there will be a tomorrow, there right. will be a week for me. And um, you know, for me, sometimes I recognize from a very personal experience that that is not always the case. But right. it's also okay in my mind if that's how it goes because. I've been there. It's happened. It's okay. It's, oh, yeah. it's a natural process.
0: <laughs> I love that. That right. is, I feel like that is the, that is like the message of the day here. <laughs>
1: right. um, yeah. And
0: cause I, I think we would go crazy trying to trying to live our lives completely. You know, if we woke up, I, I, I think about this sometimes, like, there's something like on a broad level of like, I want to live my life in accordance with my values and doing the best I can and loving people and and doing things that feel important to me in case that I do die suddenly. Yeah. And I think we would go nuts if we were like, I could die today. So I like, we just can't do all of it. We just can't live life constantly anticipating that we might die. And so we, at some point we'd have to just like, I feel like the word trust is coming up as I'm hearing you talk through some of these experiences, like just trusting that, like, that things will be okay, even if they're deeply not okay, like, there's, right. you know, kind of the outcome will lead us to something ultimately that needs to happen or will be okay. Yeah, I don't. it's really hard to talk about these things without entering into cliche or like, yeah,
1: I don't know. Right, right. In yeah. but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that you can't, you know, live in fear every day. That yeah. you let go of that, and like you said, you know, try to live every day to its fullest. Yeah. With it, live it well, because then there are there are no regrets. There's not a nice. sadness. It's it's okay, and everything yeah. will be okay. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Well, crystalline well, I'm I'm honored that you. Chose to share so much of the story with me in this project, and your wisdom and grace of having gone through all of that is evident. Um, and you know, what a gift to the world that you are
1: by you know choosing to give back in such beautiful ways. So, uh, well, thank you, thanks for having me. It was a great experience today. It's really lovely to be able to talk about that experience so openly because mm. I think- one that some people are understandably, you know, kind of shy away from. Yeah. But it's really important to have these talks. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Thank you
0: too. Thanks for listening to another episode of reckoning. I just want to say a couple more things. First, first, I want to put in a quick plug for ways you can support this project if you find it valuable. I have a Patreon site and ways to donate directly. For more information, check out my website, www.reckoningpodcast.com support. I also just want to wrap up by saying I am not an expert. I'm not here to tell people how to grieve or heal or what death is or isn't. My main goal with this project is simply to create space for us to share our stories and thoughts and feelings about death and dying, and from that collective experience, enable all of us to feel less alone in facing the challenges of grief and loss. Thank you for listening, and for being brave and vulnerable, and for your time. If you have any questions or comments, please get in touch with me. I'd love to hear from you, and perhaps share your story too.